Al Morton here, and welcome to another Takeout Podcast, episode 17, Fifty Shades of Stupid. Coming up in this edition, we will be asking, what did the FBI really find in Trump's Mar-a-Lago library? Was it a pop-up book of nuclear launch sites, or something far more sinister? <laughs> we asked if our great Prime Minister really was stabbed in the back out of jealousy, or was it because he's a bit of a freeloading fibber? There will be ice cream recipes for cats, a chance to sit in on one of my guitar lessons, another visit to the Tory party Death Star, plus remembering Ronnie Scott. Yes, I know it's been a while, but as you pay bugger all for these podcasts, I only make them when I feel like it, or in this particular case, when I'm in a snarky mood. So why not join me as I go down to our local angry mob suppliers, load up the pitchforks and light those torches. Before we get started, I should explain these podcasts are an audio version of my blog, almorton.com, the royal pegback of satirical comedy. More on that later. I play some Spanish guitar, make mean comments on Twitter, and generally annoy people who say they knew exactly what they were voting for with regards to Brexit. Of course they did. First up on our British Hammer House of Political Horrors, and let me tell you the hypocrisy meter is really redlining on this one. What the flip is going on with this special operation to choose a new leader in the UK? It would appear that a bunch of mainly white-haired white guys, less than 0.02% of the UK's population, get to choose who will replace our clown prince as Prime Minister. Can't we just do what we did last time? And ask Putin? You know, Russian donations to the Tory party, opaque funding of vote leave, drunken parties in Russian-owned castles in Italy, and private meetings with an ex-KGB agent Alexander Lebedev, whose son, Johnson, and against security advice, ennobled in the House of Lords. Prime Minister Johnson's determination to cling to office is starting to look as if he's received orders to smash up the place on the way out. Perhaps he never really left his Bullingdon Club days behind. Now I have to be a bit careful here, because in the event that Rishi Sunak becomes Prime Minister, he has gone on record as saying that he will round up those who speak or write about the UK in an abusively disparaging manner. Still, we're told that prisons are like five-star hotels these days, so it shouldn't be too bad. Plus, I've been good company, as Kwasi Kwarteng, Priti Patel, Dominic Raab, Chris Skidmore and Liz Truss, the joint authors of that great repository of wisdom, Britannia Unchained, included the totally non-abusive, disparaging quotation. The British are the worst idlers in the world. We work amongst the lowest hours. We retire early and our productivity is poor. Whereas Indian children aspire to be doctors or businessmen. The British are more interested in football and pop music. Yes, quite so. Just try getting British children to go down mines or clean chimneys. They just won't do it, the lazy f***ers. Well, you would have to use children, wouldn't you? Because, let's be honest, Pretty Patel is not a good fit for mines. 
The leadership race has eventually been narrowed down to two criminally disingenuous, thin-skinned dimwits competing to appeal to the Tory membership by inventing new ways to prove that they are the most despicable. And if it all turns to sh- well, we still have Big Dog waiting in the wings. Woof, woof. He hasn't actually said the words, I resign. But even if he did, would anyone believe him? <laughs> to paraphrase James O'Brien, Sunak says that he will blast refugees off into space and with only one meal a day, Liz Truss says that she will send them all to a remote African island with no meals a day. Not good enough, shout Conservative Party members. Meanwhile, back on the Conservative Party headquarters Death Star. Um, what do you think, Lord Vader? Perhaps we should send them to Scotland. I don't be getting any ideas, you wee-sassanak-bass. Another element of this dystopian nightmare is the blanket coverage in mainstream media about how the economy is going to magically recover. Now we can rip up those pesky EU regulations. OK, I promise to move on in a minute. But my point is, aren't these rules we are ripping up designed to prevent modern-day slavery falling food standards, the prevention of thousands of tonnes of raw sewage being dumped into the rivers, corporate greed with phone roaming charges and energy bills, the countryside being sprayed with hazardous bee-killing pesticides, imported hormone-impregnated chlorine-washed meat from the other side of the world. What about truck drivers working longer hours and passing a dumbed-down driving test? We can make protesting illegal, rip up the Bill of Human Rights make trade union strikes illegal, as well as hide our stolen loot offshore without paying a bean in tax. At the risk of using the F word, it's all starting to sound like the kind of thing the leader of an evil fascist empire would want to get up to. I hope you're not going to continue whining about Brexit. The emperor has already declared that the mission is going according to plan. Yes, yes, well, I'm sure it is. But how would he know? Hasn't he just buggered off on holiday again after a strenuous six months of doing sod all? Still, them's the mini breaks. Hasta la vista, baby. You would be wise to mind your counsel. You will have to forgive the dreadful choking sound effect. It put me in mind of that Star Wars meme where Darth Vader is gripping the captain of the Death Star by the throat and lifting him off the ground. He is, of course, expressing his understandable annoyance at the slow progress of crushing the opposition. The text reads, Strong people pick you up. They never put you down. So developing tonight, former President Donald Trump says the FBI has searched his Mar-a-Lago home. It would mark a dramatic escalation by law enforcement into the former president. Amy Hawker joining us now from the newsroom. And so, Amy, do we know what authorities might be looking for inside? No, we don't. But I'm guessing it's not overdue library books. All us conspiracy theorists will just have to wait for the truth to come out on Facebook. But in the meantime, I'm sure that the Twitter sphere will have something to say. They have people everywhere, you know. So first up is someone called Translate Things. 
He tweets that he believes Donald Trump's personal library may have been destroyed in the FBI raid. Both books appear to be beyond repair, and he hadn't even finished colouring one of them in yet. In response, Kemu has tweeted a picture of what looks like a prison compound surrounded by razor wire. The words Trump Tower hang from the guard's lookout position. The text reads, Location of new Trump library. <laughs> that, that's so mean. Jeff G tweets, It was a beautiful raid on a beautiful house and a great library. Hard to believe it happened to such a wonderful guy. I guess the two comic books were too big to flash down the toilet. Jordan Fork says, In fairness, pop-up books are notoriously fragile. Bonkers Bonkers, whose avatar is a cute little doggy with a pink tongue sticking out, asks, Is the Jeffrey Epstein suite still available? Chris A. asks, If the cameras are still broken there, don't you just love Twitter? Right, let's do this thing properly. I'm just going to read you something that caught my eye. It's actually a retweet from Mumsnet, but as always, the humour is in the comments. Kate Hewson wants to know, can I make ice cream from shrews? The cats need a treat on a day like this. My boy cat looks very hot and bothered. Girl cat has brought us four shrews already, and I've found a mouse corpse behind a bin, which smells relatively fresh. You think the cats would like it if I froze them? Perhaps mix them with a bit of cream? I know they can't taste sugar, so I was thinking of boiling cream and leaving the shrews to infuse at that stage, then making a sugar-free traditional custard, albeit shrew-flavoured, and putting that in the ice cream maker. The shrews are already dead, so I'm assuming it's going to be okay. <laughs> the shrews are already dead. <laughs> oh, lordy. Yeah, yeah. But your scientist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. It is an evil experiment of Jurassic Park proportions. Lady H of T for PM says, I've had cats that have caught shrews and they never eat them, even though they've eaten mice. So I would say that freezing them is a waste of time because cats don't eat shrews. I hope this helps. Susie tweets, I'm glad I'm not on Mum's Net because I'd be posting Don't give your cats dairy below this. Her caps lock key seems to be stuck. And then Dame Jill Taylor says, Yes, shrew sorbet would be so much healthier. Jen Saunders says, It's the creaming of the shrew. Is anybody there? Tweets, Delete this immediately. If Heston Blumenthal sees it, he'll have it on the menu. Then every hipster cafe in the country will be doing it by Christmas. Then we'll end up watching people strangling moles on Bake Off for Rodent Week. <laughs> I think the only thing that we can safely conclude from this is Mums on Mumsnet may not necessarily be the best people to be bringing up children. Next week, is it safe to put toilet brushes in the dishwasher? Johnson resignation thing came about, I did have people say to me, Oh, Al, I thought you would have more to say about it. But honestly, I don't. 
In reality, characters such as Johnson or the convict, as John Crace, a Guardian columnist, prefers to call him, and Donald, you've just been tangoed Trump, are so far to the right that they actually become hard to parody. Boastful, self-serving narcissists at the heart of government is no laughing matter. It's a shame that it takes more than three-word slogans to run a country. Otherwise, I think Johnson would have nailed it. Okay, I'm going to talk about something different now, as I know how quickly many of you become bored by politics. But do please try to keep in mind your voter apathy whilst trying to pay down your student loans and invoices from casualty. So unless you've been living on Mars this summer, it's probably not escaped your attention that it's been hotter than usual. Okay, Mrs. Google, why don't you tell us what the temperature is? In Colombia, it's currently 36 degrees. Due to the current humidity, it feels like it's 40. Whoa, there's nothing too sinister about an AI listening to every word that you say and recording every step that you take. Besides, she sounds cute. She sounds cute. Here in Spain, we've become accustomed to high temperatures in summer, but you know it's hot when the locals start complaining. Now you would think that the rapid escalation in global temperatures would be a wake-up call for climate action, but not so for global Britain or the US. It is business as usual, with our leaders' commitment to net zero carbon not even appearing on the agenda. For some, the move away to greener energy sources is considered woke. Now, far be it from me to criticise the Daily Express, but they appear to be stirring up a bit of a crusade against whinging woke-tard weather forecasters. What climate emergency? I've been to Spain. It's called summer. Get over it. What the British people actually want is... Wait for it. The big revelation that is going to put people before energy companies' profits is... Tax cuts. No, really, that's what lies behind that cheerless smile. Sadly, in this part of Spain, we've had our own difficulties with water quality. Our little seaside holiday resort lost its blue flag beach status. I don't know what kind of flag you're supposed to fly next to the lifeguard station when this happens. I suppose either a brown one, or maybe something a bit piratey, like a skull and crossbones, or a piano fairies flag. Wow, that'll learn the blighters. You are listening to the Al Morton Takeout, episode 17, 50 Shades of Stupid. You can find out more about this podcast by visiting the website almorton.com forward slash takeout. And don't forget to bring lots of grog. Around about this time, I like to talk about uh, cultural differences, the differences between Spain and the UK, but also differences in culture between generations. My generation is the baby boomer generation, and now we have, I think it's Generation X. And it is interesting how we all interact, and sometimes not always in positive ways. But before I talk about that and just want to finish off the politicization of this podcast and say a few more words about uh, Johnson's resignation. One of the highlights of any resignation 
is that moment we're all waiting for it. We're waiting for the lectern to appear at the steps of number 10. Larry the cat's being turfed out and he's scratching his fleas on the doorstep. And we're waiting for the tearful Prime Minister to come out and say that it'd been such an honour to serve his great country. But we didn't get any of that with Johnson. (laughs) Instead, we were treated to a speech in which he showed no hint of remorse. There would be no Theresa May-style sobbing. Instead, we were told how he got all the big calls right and that the big dog was being hounded out of office by, wait for it, ungrateful ministers. It reminded me of that 1965 film with Kenneth Williams playing Caesar. Carry on, Cleo. Members of the Senate, if we allow Sir Keir Starmer to continue like this, our Brexit empire will be finished. Already, gentlemen, we are in a decline. Oh, treachery, infamy, they've all got it in for me. (laughs) (laughs) That impression will probably have Kenneth Williams turning in his grave. My own view is that the only big call that Johnson got right was the size of his jogging shorts. Even now, I still hear Brexiteer thickos saying, well, he did get Brexit done, as if this current cluster f- is some kind of badge of merit. Yeah, now, he got us through Covid. Yes, that he did, as would any other Prime Minister. My flipping auntie could have got us through Covid. He didn't even turn up to the first five Cobra meetings, was late to lockdown and then ordered £11 million worth of defective PPE. Nurses, doctors, died, as well as those who were supposedly protected by Matt Hancock's ring. So the bodies did pile high, and Brexit got done, except it didn't, did it? Despite all of this, I still hear some of the clinically insane on Twitter saying things like... He got rid of this um, disease, thing, didn't he? He, had, he got all, he, you know, he, uh, the um, vaccines and all the bits and bobs. He got rid of all that. I really do give up. Now, here's the thing. I'm an entertainer, an artiste. I probably should be saying something funny, telling anecdotes or playing the stupid guitar. How can you call the guitar stupid, says everyone not married to a musician? Firstly, I came to realise that there are more than 50 shades of stupid. The stupid list can include virtually anyone over the age of nine, together with large primates, guitar teachers, as well as inanimate objects, such as Liz Truss, and as we have now learned, guitars themselves. There is even a special list for stupid, fictitious beings created by J.K. Rowling. How do I know this? It is because I've recently gone back to teaching guitar. Well, I had to do something after five years of my pension being stolen by the authors of Britannia Unchained. I teach classical guitar because it's a great place to start. And as a teenager, I used to listen to the recordings of Andres Segovia. The wistful, melancholy timbre of his guitar, often in stark contrast to his cantankerous personality. He did have a typically Spanish sense of humour though, and had gone on record as saying, In my lifetime, I had three wives and three guitars. I still play the guitars. That's my problem right there. 
I've only ever had one wife. I call him cantankerous because he shunned much of the music of Spain. On the 1965 documentary, In the House of Andres Segovia, he tells filmmaker Christopher Nupin, I had to rescue the guitar twice, firstly from the noisy hands of the flamenco players, and secondly from the poor repertoire of the time. I think it's fair to say that he was not that keen on Eric Clapton, so I guess that's one quality I do share with the maestro. Anyway, I digress. My star pupil, or to be more precise, my star ex-pupil, is nine years old. I'm calling her Venus. It's not her real name, as I think her mum listens to these podcasts. I don't know if it is an indictment of my teaching, but Venus fired me last week. You're fired. She told me that she was bored with trying to play the stupid guitar and wanted to spend more time with her friends on the beach. Well... Who can argue with that? Having been the MD of several UK limited companies, it came as a shock to be fired. I don't normally teach children, but at the time I had the impression that things were going pretty well. At the end of one class, she decided to draw me a birthday card. It said, Happy birthday, Al. Good job. Look, you see, I've drawn a picture of you playing guitar with Brittany. There was a surprising level of detail and quite a lot of glitter. It was a fair likeness, but there was something odd about Brittany. I wasn't entirely happy about being handed a drawing by a nine-year-old of me playing guitar with a woman who had become synonymous with the sexualisation of pop music. I said I wouldn't normally play with someone like Britney Spears. Who the hell is Britney Spears? That's Britney from Britney and the Chipmunks, you idiot. (laughs) Oh, yes. Well, I probably would play with them. I could tell that things were starting to go downhill when she asked me if I knew any songs that were less than a 100 years old. Another thing that younger students do when they would rather go to the beach is distraction with leading questions. What's your favourite movie? I didn't want to say Pulp Fiction. Too violent, too many drugs and some other stuff. Anyway, totally inappropriate to critique to a nine-year-old. Oh, I don't know. I quite liked King Kong, apart from the ending. Venus is shaking her head. That was an awful movie. Well, I suppose it could have been okay, but that stupid monkey ruined it. (coughs) Mine is Little Mermaid. You should learn to play some of those tunes. Then maybe people would actually want to listen to you. The cultural gap widened when she told me how much she enjoyed dancing. I asked if she'd seen John Travolta dance. No, should I? Is he anyone? Oh, he is only the great star of that most famous musical of all time, Grease. Grease? Ooh, that sounds gross. I have now concluded that when you're nine, most things generally fall into one of two categories. They are either gross or stupid. Sometimes they can be both. For example, the indentations in your fingertips from practising the guitar. That's so gross. But younger siblings. I can tell you that my younger brother is 100% stupid. This statement seemed quite emphatic, so I challenged her. I would say that he's quite bright. She is shaking her head in pitiful disagreement. 
I too am an idiot, of course, so how would I know? She lowers her voice and is sounding quite earnest. Oh no, you don't know him. He is the actual King Kong of stupid. There you go, gross and stupid. Last episode, number 16, Running With Trolls, I had a rant about social media and I thought I would wind this episode up by sharing what happened when one of my own tweets went viral. The Twittersphere is an unforgiving world. There are people out there that will never forgive your mistakes. It's a bit like Ridley Scott's sci-fi horror film, Alien. In space, no one can hear you scream. And on Twitter... You cannot edit an ill-judged comment, but you can delete it. The only problem is, there will be a zillion screenshots floating around somewhere which can be pulled out of a grudge bank later to spank you with. I have spent years trying to write thought-provoking, humorous tweets, and yet nothing ever happens. Maybe the odd like, the odd retweet, and every now and again a new follower, who is invariably a bot. I say that because generally speaking... Pneumatic, gorgeous, single women don't tend to chase after people like me in the real world. They post pictures of themselves in their underwear. Their bio says things like, I just want beautiful life. The Asian ones are especially entertaining. Iziki's bio, for example, says, Happiness is to find someone who can give you warm and share your life together. I don't think it's warm that she wants me to give her. Who knows? The next image is a bottle of a rather expensive-looking wine poured out into two posh glasses. She is on her own, but has poured out two glasses, just in case I happen to pop by. The text says, Red wine is my favourite wine in my life. Then there is the lovely Milana Kawanami, who is a stunning model who just happens to live in Bangkok. She has 23 followers. There are pictures of her in designer outfits with messages that say things like People can't love and appreciate others if they cannot love and appreciate themselves. It is the wisdom of the gods, I tell you. She has also posted a few pictures of the kind of things that she likes to eat. Suffice it to say, it's not a Big Mac and fries or a family Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket. Then, one fine day, everything changed. It was a Sunday morning and I was listening to Sky News bleating on about the UK drought. For a country known for its rain, England isn't seeing very much of it. The nation's water supply relies on places like these, a medley of reservoirs, lakes and underground stores. They're kept topped up by rainfall before it's collected and then pumped into our homes. I do hope they remember to take the bits out of it first. I penned a short tweet and pressed send. Within the space of a few hours, I had over 15,000 likes, nearly 3,000 retweets, and 140 comments. My followers count pushed up through a 1,000, and this podcast broke through a 1,000 downloads. I had arrived and had lots of new friends, and quite a few new enemies, including some surprisingly vindictive trolls from the I'm Backing Boris Brigade. They do say it takes one to know one, so I tried to roll with the punches. I suppose in real terms, these numbers will sound quite small to Twitter professionals, 
But for me, it was a turnaround. It had me wondering, what does this all mean? I could see how Twitter could be used for gaining influence, be it political or environmental, but what had changed as a result of saying something that people either found offensive or funny? I still don't know the answer to that, by the way, but I realised that I had indirectly achieved a goal. I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I really don't know why. Perhaps it's because I could see a dwindling audience for my style of guitar playing. Then I remembered the few times I worked with Bronnie Scott, the well-known tenor player that ran the infamous Soho Jazz Club. I only got to work with him as a sound engineer, but Dad, a double bass player, had played with him on quite a few occasions. I carefully observed his audience. They were literally waiting for that Ronnie Scott joke. They had heard them all before, many times, but as well as enjoying his music, they also loved his humour. I wanted to be like Ronnie Scott, a great jazz musician and humorist. Sadly, my performance as a jazz musician stroke stand-up comedian, to quote the great man himself, started off mediocre, tailed off a bit in the middle, and well, the less said about the ending, the better. It must have been tough running a jazz club. He would sometimes limp on stage and say, Oh, my doctor says I slipped a disc. Must be all that bending over backwards for Stan Getz. Often poor attendance was greeted with a joke. A guy called up and said, What time's the show starting? And we said, What time can you get here? The band was playing tea for two and the audience was on its foot. It was nearly two hours before we found out that the cashier was dead. Happy days. With this in mind, I thought I would try to develop further my own stand-up skills. Then I realised I didn't know any jokes. Well, I do, but I just couldn't remember any at the time. That's the problem with trying to be funny. Everyone thinks it's easy and that anyone can do it. It's no wonder comedians are such miserable suds in their real lives. They actively seek out everything that is wrong with the world and then get depressed about it on stage. Okay, now I know you're dying to hear the tweet that made me famous for a day or two in the Twitter land. I know you're not really. Spain looks on in astonishment at the UK drought. So much rain and yet virtually no water management or investment in infrastructure. Perhaps we should bring back the Romans to sort it out. That's if they can get visas. A day or two later it rained in the UK and the privatised water companies did what they have always been doing since Brexit and released thousands of tonnes of sewerage into the rivers. Virtually the whole of the Kent coast had to put up warning notices and close beaches. As for the local shellfish and fishing industries, they had no legal case as the action was sanctioned by a post-Brexit parliament. Whilst the rest of the UK were faced with filthy polluted beaches for their staycation, the Prime Minister shoved off to his second holiday in as many weeks to the gleaming clean Mediterranean waters of Greece. This confluence of effluence has provoked fecal outrage on Twitter. I think my favourite comment came from the secret Tory who tweeted, In the spirit of efficiency, I just did my morning dump straight into the Thames River. And so with that happy thought, I raise a glass to you all from my own staycation here in Spain. And as Ronnie Scott would say, 
My club is just like home. Filthy and full of strangers. Happy holidays. <laughs> My apologies to Ronnie Scott fans for making him sound like Tommy Cooper. Special thanks to my editor, Heather Margaret. And of course, as always, you can find out more about this podcast on almorton.com forward slash takeout. But he's the man for the job, and I'm sure he'll be back. And a special thank you to Pamela from Eltham, an LBC caller who phoned in to offer her support for Boris. Without her and many like her, Brexit would never have been possible. (laughs) 